Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Hebrews 12, 24 says this, You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Can you say that? Can you say, the blood that speaks? The blood that speaks. Come okay, on, you can do better then. Say, the blood that speaks. It's good for a Friday. Let's just pray. Father, uh, I thank you this morning that as we come and we stand humbly before your word, that you are here with us. I thank you, Jesus, that you are here to pursue the furthest heart. You're here to bring courage to the weakest heart, and you're here to bring life to the hardest heart. I pray would you do all of those things this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat, say hi to someone next to you as you go down. If you're feeling courageous, give them a high five. Wonderful. I'd love just to introduce myself to you at this moment. For those who don't know me and you're wondering who gives a redhead a microphone on Good Friday. Let me tell you who I am. My name is Gay Phillips. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Changes Church. I'm married to an amazing lady called Fiona. And we have a four-week-old baby called Olivia Grace, who is one of the most amazing babies. We've been told by the doctors. The doctors said, I've never seen anything as beautiful as this. So I don't know if he gets paid to say that, but he said it to me anyway. And just to let you know that Olivia will be coming to church on Sunday. Um, We're going to see if she'll preach. We'll see how she slept that night. But um, if you're still debating whether to come on back on Sunday, do it for Olivia, guys. Come on, do it for the children. Do it for the children. But anyway, it's really, really good. I'm also the son of Rowan and Sue Phillips. This is my mom and dad. And it's a real, real privilege to have him down from Durban. But I want to say this this morning, that I'm actually not just Rowan and Sue's son, I'm not just Fiona's husband or Olivia's dad, I'm also the most notorious, uh, Rich Reddy, thank you, but I'm also notoriously known as the most technically challenged ginger in Cape Town. Hands down. My wife is not here to verify, but she would have said amen from the back. She, she says, why always you with technology? Why does everything always go wrong? It's highlighted most, I think, uh, succinctly by my, my cell phone usage. I've had a lot of different phones over the last few years, and it's not because Steve Jobs got up every year and told me I need to buy a new Apple product. I wish it was. It wasn't because of that. It was often because I, I'm that guy who, you know the people on Facebook, those people put their status saying, lost my phone, stolen phone, get hold of me on Facebook or email. That's my Facebook history. Like every, every time it says, five years ago, I had lost my phone. I'm like, yes, like that status, thank you. I'm that guy. I was always losing or, or misplacing phones or getting them stolen. But actually two phones ago, like that's how I measure my life. Two phones ago was, uh, I left them strategically, the phone, Strategically in my short pockets, and I left the short pocket, the shorts on the floor. Okay, now every male knows I'm coming back to that. I want to say somebody. I don't want to mention any names. I won't mention any of my spouse's names. But somebody picked the, those shorts up off the floor and thought they needed to go to the wash. I mean, come on, I'm coming back, Fiona. Don't want to mention any names, as I said. But um, she got those shorts, and with, with much uh, joy, she, she thought she was serving us, threw those shorts into the wash, press, rinse cycle, spin, spin dry, and all the rest, you know, 30 minutes, and on they went, and uh, so we heard a big noise in the washing machine, I wonder what that was, you know? 
I said, can you see my phone? She's like, is that, is that it in there? Like, it must be, it must be. And I want to tell you, no matter how many Google articles I read after that, no matter how many bowls of rice I put that phone in, that phone was dead, buried, gone. It was not coming back to life. Which brings us to this phone right here. Phone present. Present phone. Is that English? I don't even think so. But anyway. But this phone has been cracked. It's been dropped a number of times. So many times I've now I've fixed my phone on the screen. So many times I've started to go to cheaper and cheaper people who would fix my screen. Does anyone want to say anything to Anyone know those people? <laughs> the problem with that is they started to put the screen on badly. So much so that Siri's voice was activated all the time. People said, have you turned it off on settings? I'm like, yes, I've turned her off on settings. She still is speaking back to me. So this Siri, this woman, Siri, she didn't even need to be spoken to. She just had opinions about everything. I would tell you, she would start, I'd be upstairs brushing my teeth, and I'd hear downstairs the voice in the American accent saying, phoning, and I'm like, what? Dialing, FaceTime, I'm like, what? And I'd have to run down and try and press no, hang up very quickly. Siri, all she heard from me was, no, Siri, No! I tell you, my, my call register had, uh, I dialed face, FaceTime call people in America. Just, if you got a phone call from me in the last month and you didn't hear anything from me, it wasn't me just, just silently being creepy. It was in my pocket. Siri just phoning. Had phone calls to Europe. I had, had all these things that people had, had ex-girlfriends phoning me back. <laughs> no, I lie. I lie about that. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, I'll discuss lying now. Ex-girlfriends. No, no, no. Just fear. That's all, guys. But uh, I had people that I hadn't spoken to in years phoning me back saying, sorry, I got a missed call from you. I'm like, oh. I just thought as the, the calls racked up, the airtime ran low. And my heart started to sink, you know. It was a tough time. But to top it all off, if anyone was at church three weeks ago, there was a dramatic moment where I was about to preach. And then I heard that voice speak to me, Siri. And she said, playing selected music. <laughs> about to preach. And I saw with horror that she had selected the best song ever by One Direction. <laughs> Confession time, I have One Direction in my phone. Yes, I do, and I enjoy it. My, my daughter loves it. That's what I can say now these days. You know? I can get away with that. But I want to tell you, it was an embarrassing moment. I had to try and turn my phone off very quickly. Somebody helped me on my left here. But I want to say, not only did Siri's voice embarrass me, it cost me money. She cost me time. That voice ultimately cost me a lot of emotional energy as I stumbled around constantly checking my phone. Who is she dialing? And making sure I'd hang up in time before I said, enough's enough. I've got to get this thing fixed. Now, I think this voice, Siri, this, this, this analogy that has plagued me the last few months. And Fiona asked me, why did it take you two months to get your phone fixed? I don't know. I thought I could beat it. No, Siri won this one. But uh, I think a lot of us might know that sort of situation if you've got younger kids. And kids say the darndest things, especially at the worst times. Your kid will, will just expose you in front of a teacher. Has anyone ever had that before? Kids will just say, my daddy does this. And like, what? That's for home use only. And, and, and kids do that. We have these moments that get exposed and embarrassed by these different voices. But I think on a more serious note this morning, what I'm wanting to drive at here is that I think I am very acutely aware of my own self, and I think I speak on behalf of many of us here, if we're honest, that we are aware of a voice that speaks in our lives often. It might not be Siri, it might not be your kids, but I believe it's a voice that condemns us often. It might even sound like you, but it's a voice that, that holds us back, that reminds us again and again of our faults, our weaknesses, our failures, It brings up where we have messed up again and again. It's a voice that reminds us of how addicted you really are and that you'll never actually be free. 
Maybe it's a voice that reminds you of the how many promises you've made and how many times you've reneged on them. It's a voice that reminds us of our ex-boss, our ex-spouse, our failed business, our failed marriage. It's a voice of fear, of rejection. It's a voice of doubt. I want to tell you, it's the voice of the enemy. The Bible calls him the accuser. He says, night and day, he accuses and I believe that many of us are here sitting with those, that voice that speaks at different times and pulls us back and holds us back. And I'm telling you, around the world, this is not an unfamiliar voice because people spend millions every year on counseling sessions to help them deal with this voice. People spend millions of, of rands and dollars and, and go on, on trips and, and go on pilgrimages to find some sort of nirvana to get through it all. They, they spend energy doing good deeds to try and silence this voice. They do it by spending religious rituals. They do confession. They give money. Anything to get this voice to be quiet. And I want to tell you this morning in a brief 20 minute session here. Is that the story of Jesus Christ. From page 1 of the Bible to the very end. And speaking all the way through history. Has declared that there is only one way to silence this voice. There is only a way to silence this voice. And to be free of its grip. And I want to tell you this morning, it comes free of charge. This morning I want to give us a whistle-stop tour through the Bible as we look at four key stories. Everyone up for that? Everyone up for that? Good, good, good. I'm glad. It's good to see you all. So the first story is found in Genesis chapter 22. It's a story of a man named Abraham, otherwise known as Abe. Abe and his wife, he is 99 years old, and, and this is a man whose his whole life has probably been played by a, a, a very loud voice. That says over their marriage, you cannot have children. A voice that again and again says to his wife, you are barren. A voice again and again as the years tick by saying, the years are ticking away, Abe. You're getting older and older. And Abraham stumbles along until he gets to 99 years. No child, no future, no heir. And that was it. His line would come to an end. And this was a great shame in that culture. So much so that it gets to this point. But for the story's sake, this man kept believing a different voice. The voice of God. And at the age of 99, Abraham had a child, a boy called Isaac, a young lad who became the apple of his dad's eye. Somebody at the age of 99, I know you can picture it, playing catch with after all these years, you know, and, then, and just going to his sports games and loving just being with his boy, Isaac. But this story goes on, and a few years later, as Isaac started to grow up, God spoke again to Abraham and said, Abraham, Abraham, yes, God, says, I want you to take your boy, Isaac, your only boy, the one that you've waited 99 years for. I want you to take him. Go to the mountain, I'll show you. And I want to test your heart. I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham, step back. Going, oh, I really shouldn't have answered that voice today. And, and his heart grew heavy. But he knew that this was something that he had to do. He had to, he knew that maybe God had something better planned. God had something up his sleeve. Maybe God would do this, but I have to obey. So Abraham set off one morning with his boy and all the servants in tow. And they went to the mountain that God showed them. He left the servants at the bottom and said, boy, let's go up to the top of the mountain. And Isaac says, this is going to be fun, Dad. Just you and me on a camping trip. And he gulped deeply. Yeah, this is going to be good, boy. And they go up all the way there. And, and Isaac said, what are we going to do, Dad? Gonna, we're going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And Isaac says, oh, that's great. That's going to be brilliant, Dad. This is going to be such fun. And Abraham, with a heavy heart, started to assemble the stones and get the wood and get the, the altar ready. And then Isaac saying, Dad, Dad, where, where, where's the sacrifice? He says, Isaac, come here, boy. Okay, okay, Dad. He's just, just lying on top here and started to tie him down. And Isaac going, Dad, Dad, what's, what's going on, Dad? Dad, what's going on? 
And, and Abraham, trembling with a, with a sad heart, but trembling, but in faith, going, I'm going to do this for, for God. He picks up a knife, and just dramatically, before he was about to plunge the knife into and sacrifice his boy, the voice of God spoke again. He said, Abraham, wait. I see that you're obedient to you. Trust me with all your heart. He says, I want you to take your boy off the altar. He said, there's a lamb hidden in the thicket. There's a lamb that's caught right here in the bush. I've provided a lamb for the sacrifice that will take the place of your son. And in that moment, Abraham untied his boy, got the lamb, and put the lamb on the altar. This is where we get the first glimpse of a biblical doctrine that weaves way all the way through Scripture called substitution. That somebody had to die to appease God, but God provided a lamb in this place. We see in that story, one lamb was provided for one man. You've got that. We move on. The second story is found in Exodus Chapter 12. It's another story. A story of a bit of a, bit of a bigger group. The, the, the nation of Abraham had grown and grown and become the Israelites. And they had been a, a mighty nation until they went into captivity because of a famine into Egypt. And because of that, uh, under a very harsh, cruel fear over many decades, they slaved and slaved and slaved under this hard taskmaster. And there was voices that, that sounded over there for decade after decade, calling them out. And, and, and Pharaoh did this, but all the way until God spoke, and he spoke to a man named Moses. He said, Moses. Moses said, yes, God. I want you to go to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him, let my people go. And Moses, man who was probably not qualified to do this job, started to hear the voice, started to speak over him. And he started to say, why would Pharaoh listen to me? He'll have me killed. I can't speak well. I'm not that impressive. Choose someone else, God. But God spoke again and said, Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So Moses, nervous, trembling, fearful heart, gets before Pharaoh. He gets an audience of them and Pharaoh says, what do you want? He says, well, God says, let my people go. And shock and horror, this is what Pharaoh says. No. Next. Moses like, what? <laughs> that didn't go according to plan, God. But God said, don't worry, I'm going to show fear of my power. And, and, and the story happened as the plague after plague started to rain down. Uh, and you can go through them in the story. But plagues came. But all these plagues that came, that, that killed livestock, that, that, that shocked the nation, turned the water to blood, and the nation caught the captivity in the headlines of the nation. All it did was harden Pharaoh's heart further. And Pharaoh said, no, I will not let them go. After every plague, Moses came back and said, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, No! He, we will not do this. Until the very last moment, God said here, after each play, God answered again and said to Moses, Moses, tonight, you're going to be set free as a people. He said, the last plague is going to come. The angel of death is going to move over the valley and it's going to kill every firstborn son. <laughs> Moses said, God, but we've all got our sons. What about us? And God said, no, 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 you guys will be spared. But the only way you'll be spared is if you take the blood of an unblemished lamb. Take that blood and put it on your doorframe. And the angel of death will pass over your house. So Moses goes, okay, thank you God. The Israelite nation is living in fear. They, they've seen fear as hard get harder. He's, he's up the ante against them. He's, the whips have been dragged down. They're like, we've seen God's power. We've seen Pharaoh. We, we, we're caught in the middle here. And Moses says, guys, the angel of death is going to come kill every firstborn son. And then a woman starts crying. They say, but what about our boys? No, God said, put the blood of the lamb on the door and you'll be safe. And the people go, Moses, we've seen the power of God. Are you sure that's all he said? Well, there's no addendum. That sounds too simple. 
blood on the door. Surely there's something else we need to do. Is there no smoke signals? Is there nothing else we can put a, a sign outside? They're saying, let go, let God, or something, Christian. Is there anything we can do? And Moses says, no, that's all God said. Put the blood on the door. And they said, okay. And they did it. Family, Israelite family of Israelite family did that that night. As, the, as darkness descended. And the family gathered. The family were holding their, their firstborn born boy. Israelite family holding, like, please God, please God, please God. Don't take our boy. And that night the angel of death came across the land. Came to the first Egyptian home. And a cry went up as a, as a nightmate stumbled in and saw the Egyptian's boy slain, dead. And cries went up over the valley, screams, ah! As they heard people, as Egyptian families scream out, my boy! And Israelite families heard this, this, these screams coming close and holding the boy in tears going, saying, please God, may this blood be enough. May this blood be enough to secure us. And as the angel of death, they heard the whisper come up. And they came to their house. The angel paused, saw the blood, and passed over. And their families, their boys, were safe. This is where we find the theological term called propitiation. Big words this morning. Give you deep theology in 20 minutes. But what this means, is means that there were, there's a debt that is paid, but because of the sacrifice that was given, death will pass us by. The weight of the guilt that we are supposed to hold, we are passed over because of the sacrifice. In this story, we've got the first story, we've got one lamb for one man. Abraham with his boy, there was substitution that took place. One lamb for one boy. Over here, we have this situation. For one lamb was provided for one family, for their propitiation to happen so they could be saved. We get to our third story. And we find this in Leviticus 16. This is the moment as the Israelite nation got set free from Egypt and years later they go into freedom and the ritual starts happening. Every year, once a year, the nation would gather for a thing called Day of Atonement. Where the, the Israelite nation would gather and they will come to the high priest and then the voice of the nation would yell out, Can our sins be forgiven? All the, the stuff that we've done this year, we need our sins forgiven. So what the high priest would do was he'd get two unblemished lambs. And the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, which was uh, the, the area that was separated God from the people, that separates sin from God. And the only one man, the representative, the man, the high priest would go in with the, the, the blood of one lamb, and he would pour it out on the altar. The other lamb, he would then go outside to all the people, and they would pray over this lamb, this goat. And they'll pray, and he'll put his hand, and, and in this process, they believe that all the sins of the nation would go into this goat. And what they would do with that at that moment, was they will drive that goat out into the wilderness. That's where we get our word scapegoat from. The one that takes the fall for the many. Drive that out into the wilderness. And this is the story that we understand. And this is where we get our theological concept, atonement. Let me explain. If you're wanting to know what atonement is, I was taught this a few years ago in a very simple way. It might sound cheesy, but I've remembered it, so it's helpful. That before we understand with God, we were at two minutes. It's very clever, eh? We were at two minutes. What do I mean? We were separated from God. There was no ability for us to come anywhere near Him. But because of a sacrifice that was made, we can be at one minute. Atonement. Very clever, eh? Uh, maybe I'm just fascinated with those sort of things. But here's the understanding that the story begins one lamb for one man. Abraham and Isaac. Then we see here, one lamb is made the restitution for one family. Then over here, we see one lamb for one nation. The story is growing, and then we find this amazing thing. What am I getting at? In John chapter 1, the page turns over into the New Testament. After years of, of, of 
humanity trying to appease God and find freedom from their sins and silence these voices. Jesus arrives on the scene and a man, John the Baptist, stands up. And the first thing out of John the Baptist's mouth when he sees Jesus, he says these words, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Wow, what a weird thing to say if you don't understand what's going on. What a strange thing. This is a lamb. I'd rather go for a cheetah. Something more impressive, you know? It's like a lamb. But there's something deeper going on here. One lamb for one man. One lamb for one family. One lamb for one nation. But Jesus said, I'm always going to be the one who comes for the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And from that moment, Christ began His march to the cross. Let me tell you this. That Christ came. And He came and He was a great teacher. He was a brilliant teacher. But I want to make sure that we know that He primarily did not come to be known as a great teacher. Let me tell you, Christ, from the very beginning, was a great example. Someone to model your life on. But let me tell you, He primarily did not come to be a great example for you and I. Let me tell you, Christ was a great healer and a performer of many great and work of miracles. But He didn't primarily come to make things slightly better for us. Temporarily. Let me tell you strongly that Christ from day one, when John the Baptist declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Christ came for one reason, to die. Christ came to die. You see, after 33 years of Christ's life filled with teaching, example, and miracles, Jesus was sold out by a man named Jesus for just a handful of coins. Judas, a man who saw Jesus, saw the world, and he thought actually the voice spoke and said, that'll be better than that. This will get you happier in life. So he went after the money. Jesus, after 33 years, was sold out by a man named Pilate for the applause and the affirmation of a crowd. In a moment, he thought, Jesus, or the affirmation of a crowd, I'll go with the crowd. Peter sold out Jesus. After 33 years, he sold him out. Why? In a moment. Aren't you with him? Self-protection? Or Jesus, he said, I'll go with self-protection. That, that probably will be better. But after these, after three, 33 years of teaching, example, miracles, he was sold out by his friends, by men. And as nails were smashed into his hands, as a crown of thorns was pressed into his head, as a spear was thrust into his side, the accusing voices rung out. As Jesus hung on the cross, the people around the cross said this, didn't you say you were the king of the Jews? Where are your supporters now? The voices said, didn't you say you were the Messiah? Save yourself! They said, didn't you say you were the Son of God? Call down the angels to release you, Jesus! Prove it, they said. But Isaiah 53 tells us this, in the prophecy about Jesus, it says this, that before his accusers, he remained silent. Why did Jesus not answer back when he had everything? He could have done in, in all three of those things. In that moment, he could have done all of those. And the people there would have fallen down and worshipped him. Why did Jesus remain silent in that moment? Let me tell you, on, when he was crucified on the cross, he did not die as a teacher. He did not die as an example or a sign of, a, of the miraculous. He died for the sins of the world as our substitution, as our propitiation, as our, as our atonement. He died as the Lamb of God. Isaiah 53, that same passage, talks about Jesus and says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Let me tell you, this is what I believe God is trying to say this morning, is that on the cross, Jesus was silent before his accusers. But as his blood started to pour out, as that scripture you read at the beginning, 
his blood began to speak a better word. He could have defended himself, but he knew that he needed something more than just words. He needed his blood to speak for eternity. Let me tell you this, Christ on the cross, this is what I love, is this wasn't just a one-off thing. Christ, you know that when Jesus died, it wasn't a reaction by God. It wasn't God saw sin and went, ah, oh, sin is so bad, what are we going to do about this? Holy Spirit, Jesus, come, let's talk. What are we going to do about this sin called sin? I didn't see this one coming. Ah, oh, no, it's terrible. Guys, no idea is a bad idea. Brainstorming, brainstorming session. And then eventually one of the hosts said, guys, just stick with me. I think Jesus must go. No, no, it wasn't like this. Like they had to come up with a reaction. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter, it says that Christ was slain before the foundation of the earth. What does that mean? This was always God's plan. He was always going to exalt Jesus on the cross and have him die in our place. God was always going to die for mankind. How powerful is this? Let me tell you that not only did the Lamb slain before the creation of the world, Peter tells us in Acts 2, he said, This Jesus whom you crucified was slain before your very eyes. This is a historical event. Jesus died. It's not debated by any historian ever that Jesus died. It happened. But here's another great thing. In Revelation, the whole book ends with this line. It says this, At the end, they will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Let me tell you this amazing thing that I believe God is doing, wanting to do with us this morning. Is that when the enemy speaks, when the voice of the enemy, and maybe it's spoken loudly over your life and said, your marriage is done. Maybe it's spoken and said, you are too far gone. Your heart is too hard. You are too sinful. That your, your past, that stuff in your past will always want you. You'll always be known as a failure. Let me tell you, when that voice starts to speak about your past, let me tell you the good news. The blood of the Lamb was slain. Before the, before the foundation of the world to deal with any horrors of your past. The voice will say, look at your past. You say, yeah, but you were slain before that. Maybe in your presence, you're saying, uh, the voice is saying, you're just an addict. You made so many promises, you keep doing the same thing, you'll never change. The good news is that not only did he do it once before, he did it in our very presence, his blood. He said, this Jesus whom you crucified was slain before your very eyes. The blood of the Lamb speaks louder than your present. And actually your future, when you're standing there, you say, actually I'm looking ahead and I've got fear, I've got anxiety. I don't know what is yet to come. I don't know what Zuma has for our country. I don't know what a future I'll give my kids. I, and there's anxiety wrecks you. Can I tell you the good news is that you'll overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Your past is covered by the blood of the Lamb. Your present is covered by the blood of the Lamb. Your future is covered by the blood of the Lamb. There is only one way to silence the voice of the accuser. It is the blood of the Lamb. It's a blood that speaks. And it speaks a better word. I said a little earlier that this news comes free of charge. And yes, it does. But I want to be honest with you. It will cost you everything. Jesus doesn't say, take my blood and, and, and try a different... Have a hate your bed. Take a few options. Jesus says, let my blood cover you completely. Every single area. Let me set free completely every single area. And the only way we can do that is for us to come and receive it. Let me tell you, Good Friday is only good. Why do we call it Good Friday? Jesus died. God died. Good Friday? The only reason we know it's good is if we understand the reason why. And that we believe that Christ's death was my death. Prompts us, it gets us ready to know that his resurrection is my resurrection. John Calvin said it this way, and I believe he said it best. He said, The cross is the father saying, I want my kids back. 
I believe this morning that we've come here, and maybe you've come for, this is what families do, this is a religious thing, we take it off, have some hot cross buns, we go on with our day. I really believe this morning, that I pray that the blood of the Lamb would become so real for you, that you feel, I'm so far gone, I want to tell you, there's nothing else that can pull you back to, man, than the blood of the Lamb. You can say, I'm so deep in my mess, I don't know how to get out, there's only one thing that can go that deep, it's the blood of the Lamb. You can try, you can try, you can try hardest. You will not get out of that hole until you allow the blood of the Lamb to rescue you. You say, I don't know about my future. I don't, my, my prospects are terrible. I'll tell you, there's only one thing that can provide for your future. It's not a better government. It's not a better job. It's not a better marriage. Let me just get out of this place. No, it's the only thing that will silence the voice is the blood of the Lamb. And I pray this morning, you and I would respond to that. Can we pray?